Amen and amen. I want you to take your Bibles if you've got them. I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. You can find Ruth, then 1 and 2 Samuel. You'll see the Kings, then the Chronicles, 2 Samuel 9. All right, I want to show you something before we start today. Marriage is sort of like my old truck. It's a lot like my old truck. Uh, I drive a 25-year-old truck. Chris Faust making fun of it. He said, it looks like a watermelon delivery truck. It is, n- it is an executive truck. <laughs> but let me just about my old truck. You have to really work on it to keep it running. You always have to do something. You have to take care of it. If you don't work on it, it just won't crank. Marriage is the same way. Has anybody ever been married more than about 30 minutes? Do you have to work at it? All right, we've got a great time coming up. September 12th, we're going uh, to have a live marriage conference here. And it is going to be very good. Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott, who are husband and wife, great marriage counselors in the nation. They're going to be here to help. And it's just, it's very good. And you say, well, our marriage is in pretty good shape. Well, come make it better. I mean, you, you got to work. Marriage is also like sweet tea. Some, when it's good, it's like what they serve in heaven. When it's bad, it's nasty. And so we need to keep it on the upside. And we're going to have a great time that night. Fellas, y'all got my clip there for uh, marriage. Good short there. Right now, Media's Marriage Night is back. On September 12th, join thousands of couples around the country for a one-night live stream experience. Laugh, learn, and grow with your spouse as you hear from marriage experts Les and Leslie Parrott, Matt and Lauren Chandler, Conway and Jada Edwards, and comedian Michael Jr. Visit marriagenight.org to get your tickets today. Things pretty good they got Michael Jr. because you do need some comedy when you're talking about marriage. But you can go to our website. Just go to our website, click on the link, we'll sign you up. It'd be very good, It'd be very helpful. And uh, marriages are under attack today by the powers of hell. And we need all the encouragement and help we can get with that. All righty, you got 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now we're spending time for a few weeks, we're talking about the kingdom of God. But for three weeks, starting last week, we're talking about something different. We're talking about the God of the kingdom. And we're looking at him. Last week, we started Matthew chapter 20, where we saw that he is the landowner, that if you'll just sign up, he is good. He wishes to give. And if you'll go with him, he'll pay you 12 hours wages for one hour's work. It was a passage about the generosity and the goodness of God. All right, today we come to another. But before we look at this, I got to tell you something, and this will be something you'll need to know for the rest of your life. The Bible says, I will speak to them in parables. Over and over, Jesus said, I will speak to them in parables. God speaks to us through parables. Well, Jesus spoke in parables, but let me teach you this. The Old Testament, the entire book of the Old Testament is a, is a parable, all of it. First Corinthians chapter 10 talks about the stories in the Old Testament. Moses going through the Red Sea under the cloud, all that. And he said in, in uh, chapter 10, These things are examples to us upon whom come the end of the age. When you read a story out of the Old Testament, you got to ask him, now I see the story, but what's the story in the story here? What are you saying to me in this? Even Jesus himself said all those things that happened, they point to me. Uh, Jesus said, for instance, do you remember Jonah? Got swallowed by the big fish. And then in three days, listen, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days. Jonah being in that fish for three days and then coming out and saving the largest city in the world is a picture of the son of God being buried in the heart of the earth and then coming out and saving the universe. 
So when you read the Old Testament, you always got to ask, what are you talking about here? Don't just read the story and say, that's neat. We're going to look at one today. One of the greatest stories in the Bible is it may be the greatest picture of the heart of God. More than you need anything else, you need to know the heart of God. You're going to see that. Second Samuel chapter nine. Let me take catch where we're at here. Do you remember King David? All right, David was a little boy. He said, nobody, he's a shepherd. But God put his hand on him and said, you're going to be king one day. But it was a hard road to get there. His predecessor, Saul, saw that God's hand was on him and he hated him. He tried to kill him four different times. And David had to run. He had to hide in caves. He had to fight to save his life. It was very difficult. And after years of difficulties, he finally gets to the throne. God put him on the throne and then he made him the greatest king in world history. To this day, historians consider David of Israel the greatest king to ever live in world history. He conquered lands, he ruled, but he was a, wonder, he was a benevolent king. He gave to the people. He lived to help his people. He wasn't a selfish king and he sacrificed greatly and that's why God blessed him so much. And so this is the point in his life. He's just gotten to where he's won all of his battles. Life is great. He's blessing the people. He's gotten what God promised him and he's sitting on his throne one day and I want you to watch what happens. Second Samuel 9. Verse one, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Got it? He's sitting on his throne and he says to, I don't, didn't say who we talked, just in particular, he said, is there anybody left in Saul's family that I can be good to, that I can show kindness to? Now the word, I want you to see the word kindness right there. It's a very unusual word. It is a word reserved only for God in the Bible. There are two words in the Bible that are reserved only for God. Uh, one's in the New Testament. You know, they're written in different languages. Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. And the word in the New Testament reserved for God alone is the word agape. And it means the love of God. And it's a love that only, listen, nobody can love like he can. It's a perfect love. Spit on him. It won't stop it. It's the love of God. And that word is agape. And the New Testament differs. Like if you talk about the love of a husband for his wife or a mother for a child, that's not agape because you can't do agape. Only he can. That's philos. And that word agape is reserved only for God. Well, there's a matching word in the Old Testament and it's the word hesed. And it's the love of God. And that's this word that he uses right here. Sometimes it's translated kindness. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness, but in this case, it's translated kindness. So he said, I'm looking for somebody to show the loving kindness of God, which tells you this is not about a king doing something here. All right, so let's see what happens here. All right, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So they called him uh, to David and he said, are you Ziba? He said, I'm at your service. Verse three, the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. So see, they translate a little better right there. I want to show somebody the love of God. Ziba said to the king, well, there's a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He's crippled. King said to him, well, where is he? Ziba said to the king, he's, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Um, Lodibar was just a dump. It, it was the slum. It would be the worst place in America. Pick a, pick a terrible place. That's where he was living. And he was living in squalor. He was living in a slum and his life was terrible. He said, I know where he's at. Not only that, he was as far from Jerusalem as you could get. And there was a reason for it. All right. Verse five, King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself. David said, Mephibosheth, he said, here is your servant. 
David said to him, verse seven, do not be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. You will eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? You ever heard of low self-esteem? It's the one thing Satan brought into the earth at the fall of man. Here's another picture of it. All right, the Bible said this. Verse eight, nine. The king called Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, I've given to this, your master, Mephibosheth, all that belonged to Saul, all his house. You, therefore, your sons, your servants, shall work the land for him. You'll bring in the harvest that he may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, he'll eat bread at my table always. Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king has commanded, that's what I'll do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat bread at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All who dwelt in the house of Ziba were the servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He ate continued at the king's table. He was lame in both of his feet. Got the picture? He finds this guy. He says, go get him. He brings him. He's scared spitless. And he says to him, you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness. This guy's living in squalor. He makes him an instant multimillionaire. Do you know how much land Saul owned? Thousands of acres. Uh, he owned produce lands. He owned vineyards. He owned orchards. Uh, he owned olive, or, olive groves. He gives him all that. And then he turns and he says, he gives him 35 servants. They'll manage your lands for you and they'll bring the money to you. But you're not going to need any money. I'm moving you in my house and you're going to live with me in this house. And in this short passage, four times, four times, the king said, you'll eat dinner with me every night. You'll eat at the king's table every night. I'd call out a promotion, wouldn't you? Any way you cut it, this is upgrade. All righty. Now the question is not, is this a great story? I'm really tickled with that little fellow. I think he came out good. But remember, these things are written for your admonition upon whom come the ends of the age. Heavenly Father, what are you saying to me through this passage? Is this just a good story about a guy that got lucky because the king found him? Or is this God speaking to me? Number one, the kindness of the king. And maybe think he was kind to that little fella. Listen to me, he didn't owe him a dime. He owed him nothing. Matter of fact, he was the grandson of David's great enemy who tried to kill him. He didn't owe him anything. And he didn't need him because he was a great singer or a politician. This guy was a nobody. Man, he's living in a dump. He's just living in squalor. David didn't know him one thing. It's just the kindness of David. The guy had nothing to do with it. What's the revelation here? God is not looking to get you. He's not mad at you. He is looking for somebody to be good to. There's the simple revelation. Is there somebody I can show loving kindness to? I was taught wrong as a young man, as a teenager, when I was such a hoodlum, and, and, you know, using drugs and in trouble with the police and religious people talking me, God's going to kill you one day. God's going to kill you. And I thought, remind me not to go around him. <laughs> Listen, this thing's got, it's just, that's the way I saw it. I said, remind me not to go around him. He wasn't, he didn't want to kill me. God is good. Amen. He's looking for somebody to be good to. So he said, just, he's just looking for somebody to be good to. This is the, you know what this is? This is a picture of the very heart of God that he's just looking for somebody to be good to. Number two, the fear of this little fella. That boy was, he was terrified of this king. 
Let me tell you why. In that day, and still in some Middle Eastern countries, if a new king deposes another king, immediately you kill all the king's family, old king's family. So you won't have an insurrection. And so they knew the moment David was declared king, we're all dead. That's why he had to run. That's why everybody ran. So he's living his life, hiding from this king, terrified of him, knowing if he finds out where I'm at, he's going to kill me. Scared to death of him. And so he's, he's fearful of, uh, of this great king that if he ever finds him, I don't want you to look at what the deal, what, what's in the heart of David? I want to be good to you. What's in the mind of Mephibosheth? He's going to kill me. Do we have a discrepancy here? This is the, as far as I'm concerned, this is the greatest, greatest problem that our nation faces, that every person faces, the wrong perception of the creator. We don't know him. I'm going to make a statement. I want you to listen to it. If you're, and everybody's got what they believe about God. Everybody's heard the name, but see what you think about him may be different from what I think about him. Listen to this. If your perception of God is wrong, your life will be wrong. If the way you think about God is wrong, your life will be wrong. For this reason, he gave you your life. You only exist by his will. He rules in the universe. And if you think wrong about him, your life's going to be screwed up. I want you to look at the great teaching about that with me. Turn to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, here's, this is where Jesus said, this is what ruins more people's lives and costs more people their lives than anything else. It's, it's not their inability. It's not their lack of talent. It is the way they think about God that ruins more people's lives. Have you ever uh, thought something about somebody and then got to know them and, and it was different than what you thought? You ever done that? How many of y'all done it before? mercy. I remember years ago, I'm just a young preacher starting out and I had some people, my, I hope this don't offend anybody, but it's too late to stop now. I done started. <laughs> had some, this is years ago, this early eighties, just starting out moral majority, just starting. A guy named Jerry Falwell was getting big in the nation. And uh, these people were Jerry Falwell fans and they were mean and hateful and ugly and, and always Jerry Falwell and me to death. And, and I just decided I don't like him. I never met him. I didn't know anything about him. I just knew he was in Virginia somewhere, which is too close to Washington, D.C. for me. I just didn't like him. And uh, so, I, you know, bad people, bad man. How about you know, bad follower, bad leader? That's what I thought. And uh, so I just didn't like him. Uh, but then I had to go to a meeting where he was at. And I met him. He's one of the neatest guys I ever met. Hilarious. He's the greatest jokester I ever learned. Loves people, the sacrifices. I just thought, and I told him, I got to talk to him. I said, you know what? I said, your people giving you a bad rap. When I get to heaven, I'm going to tell the king the same thing. Your perception of somebody is everything. Here's the great passage on that, Matthew 25, 14. Jesus said this, Matthew 25, 14. The kingdom of heaven is like, what is Jesus always trying to get us to understand? what the kingdom of heaven is like in the earth. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants, delivered his goods to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his own ability, immediately he went on a journey. Got it? Kingdom of God is like a creator who's a long way away, but to every single person he's given some. Opportunities, talents, gifts, attitudes, He's given everybody something. Now I want you to notice they're not equal. Five, two, one. We don't all have the same opportunities. 
We don't all have the same avenues, but he's given everybody something and he goes on a far journey. Guess why he gave you something? Because our heavenly father is an investment capitalist and he's invested capital in you. He's put something in you and he wants you to do something with it. How many of you know the great commission is not eat and burp? We were not born to just eat and burp. There's more to it than that. How many of you know, even in the heart of there's something down here that people just want to do something. They want to build, they want to dream, they want a family, they want to build a family, they want to build a business. God put that in there and he gave you something to work with. Now look what the Bible says right here. All right, verse 15, uh, verse 16. He who had received the five talents went and traded with them, made another five talents. Here's a guy who took what God gave him and he did something with his life. He accomplished something. He, he took the little bit God gave him and he made a difference on this planet with it. How many people, that's why I love millennials today. We've shifted, my generation wanted to make money. The young generation today, they want to make a difference in the planet. And I applaud them for that. Well, guess who put that in there? All right, the, the next one. Verse 17, likewise, he who had received two, two went and gained two more. So the guy who had two, he went and did something with his life. Look at number one, verse, 19, or verse 18. He who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. All right, here's a person that took what God gave him. What did they do with it? Nothing, zero. They took what God gave them and they didn't do anything with it. Got it? All right. See if you agree with verse 19. After a long time, the king of those servants came back. How many of you know after a long time, the king is coming back? How many of you believe that Jesus will come one day? All right, that's what he's talking about. After a long time, the king came back. Watch this. And settled accounts with them. You won't get near as many amens out of that, I bet. What does the Bible tell us in that verse right there? Jesus is coming back one day and I'm going to stand in front of him and I'm going to have to explain the life he gave me. I'm going to have to give an account for what I did with my life. Romans, the Bible says this in Romans, we shall all, guess what the word all means? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in this life whether good or bad. So one day I got to stand in front of Jesus. He's going to, and he's not going to be mad because I listened to classic rock. I hope. <laughs> He's not going to say, I caught you smoking, smoking. He's going to say, what did you do for this earth with what I gave you? What'd you do? What'd you do for people? I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was thirsty. Did you give me water? I was naked. Did you clothe me? I was a stranger. Did you say come into our group? What do you, what'd you do with your life? So he's going to come back one day and I'm going to have to give an account. Said this, all right? Verse 20, he who had received five talents came and brought the other five talents and Lord, you gave me this and I've gained this with it. Here's what I did with my life. Verse 21, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What did he say? Because of the way you handled your life on this earth, for all of eternity, I'll promote you to this. And you're going to manage this for all of eternity. How many of you know this is a trial run setting us up for where we live in eternity? Not heaven or hell, what we will be in heaven. All right, you can read on. The guy who had two came back and he said, here's what I did with the two. He answered him and he said, well done. Well done, verse 23. You, you were faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. I want to point something out here. We got to get this, this American mindset that says, if I'm on TV, I'm big. Or if I got a thousand, I'm big. No, no, no. 
the, the one who took the five and the one who had the two both got the same word. Well done. Billy Graham preached to millions. I, I believe Jesus said to him, well done, son. But you weren't called to do that. Maybe God called you to raise two or three godly children. And if you do what he called you, he's going to say the same thing to you he said to Billy Graham. Maybe he called you to run a service station honestly with integrity and treat people good and put Brian Bigger's CDs on the counter so they can get them. <laughs> I'd, I'd throw that in. But, but you're just a man or woman of integrity. You're going to hear the same well done that Billy Graham did. We got to get this he's bigger so he's important stuff out of our heads. Everybody's been given something to live with. You got to do it. All right. Now let's shift gears here. I want you to watch something. <clears throat> Verse 24. He had received the one talent. Right, it's time for the guy with the one talent who did nothing to come. He had received one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown. Where did he get that from? See the word hard? Demanding, overbearing. I knew how tough you were. I know how demanding you are. And then what did he say? He accused God of being a thief. You reap where you didn't sow. You go steal other people's crops. Well, I want to make an announcement. My God is not a thief. <laughs> the only thing he ever took away from me was throwing up all night and sticking my head in the toilet. That's the only thing he ever took away from me. Thank God. Dude, where, where did this guy get this crap from? I'm sorry. Where did he get this stuff from? In his mind, he saw God as an overbearing, demanding ogre that would steal things from you. Where'd he get that from? Read this with me. Verse 25, I was afraid of you. How many people see God as an overbearing, demanding deity that just wants to rip you off? And question, because his perception of God was wrong, he wasted his life. Is that not what's happening? I'm going to say it again. Your perception of God dictates your life. If what you think about him is wrong, your life will be wrong. When you begin to see him for who he is as a benevolent, gracious king who wants to give you something and give you opportunity, you will run to him instead of from him. I, I'm fixing to go crazy here, fixing to go deep. Every human being on this planet that does not love Jesus, worship Jesus, follow Jesus and hand his life to Jesus is blind. You just don't know him. If you knew the creator, you'd tell him, take everything I got. Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Take everything I got. Show me what you can do with it. He is that good. If your perception's wrong, your life's going to be wrong. All righty. Mephibosheth was living in squalor when the king wanted to bless him. He was living a lie and it ripped him off. I ran from God when I was a criminal. When I was a young man, I ran from him. Because I'd been taught that he was overbearing and demanding and mean and wanted to take everything out of my life. If I'd have known him like I know him now, I'd have run to him. It is important to know what he's like and to get to know him personally. All right. How many people today are living at, at this down here level because they've been lied to? Where'd this guy get this stuff from? Why did he think God was mean and overbearing and demanding? There's an answer. All right, let's go all the way back to the first day. God Almighty creates the most beautiful earth. I love the outdoors. It's beautiful. He puts a man in that earth. He gives him the most beautiful woman in the world as a wife. Would you agree? 
Granted, she was the only one that made her the most beautiful woman on earth. <laughs> and he said to them, what did he say to them? What's the first thing he said? Be fruitful. Be successful. Do well. Here, I give you the whole, I give you all this. Go show me what you can do. Be fruitful. Enjoy your life. Enjoy each other. And they ran around naked all the time. They lived buck naked. Can you top that? You don't think that's good? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. And, there, and it's so good. God is good. Two pages later, into the garden comes a liar. And he approaches that woman and he said, did God tell you you can't do that? She said, he sure did. He said, God's trying to rip you off. God's not as good as you think he is. He's trying to restrict your life. Don't let him be your God. You be God. You run your own life. You'll do better than God will. And she believed him. He believed him. They bought it. And we've been suffering ever since. All right. If you never learned anything else from me, learn two things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you ain't him. If she had known the truth, she would have told him, you get the hell out of here. I'm sticking with the one who loves me. He's good to me. And we just thought it would have been great. There's every person that does not run to God and say, take it all, has got a lie in their head. Somebody should talk about a liar in the Bible who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All right. So we live in a lie. Number three, I want you to notice this in this passage. The king is after you. The king is after you. Now, I want to ask you a question, and this is a great, we've got to get this right, dear ones. Did Mephibosheth go looking for David or did David go looking for him? Mephibosheth was hiding from him. And David said, go get him. Well, let me, make, let me tell you how this works. When the, king, when the most powerful man on earth says, go get somebody, they don't send yellow cab after him. The military goes. And this guy, I don't know whether he was inside or laying on the street or up against a building or I don't know where he was, but the military showed up. And it's pretty impressive when the military, and they're and they looking around and they said, we're looking for a guy named Mephibosheth. That's him right there. Come here. King David wants to see you. Come with me. What do you think's in his mind? He's scared spitless. David brought him to himself to kill him, to be good to him. How many of you believe in God? How many of you love him? You had nothing to do with it. People on occasion through the years have asked me, when did you find Jesus? <laughs> if I said, Jesus wasn't lost. I didn't go find Jesus. I'm running from him. When I'm, when I'm a young rock star raising hell, do you think I was looking for him? I was looking to get as far away from him as I could. Son, if you said church to me, I'm out of here. But what's the goodness of God? Even if you curse him, he will run you down. He's after you. Let me tell you something. If you believe in God and you have any interest in following him, he did that to you. I want you to look with me in John chapter 6 at the great truth that God is after you. John chapter 6. Once in a while when somebody tells me, my life sucks. Everything's falling apart. Lost my job. My girlfriend left. My truck got repossessed. Everything's terrible. My dope dealer turned me in. I just smile and I just say, you got a mama praying for you somewhere, don't you? 
I just smile and I say, God's after you, son. And yeah, he's going to get you too. John chapter 6, I want you to look at this great truth, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Has anybody ever come to Jesus? Have you? God brought you. God's got to go get you and bring you. For you to believe in Jesus, he's got to go get you. He's got to bring you to his son. And nobody will ever come to God unless God speaks to you first. That's verse 45. The Bible said this, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Before you ever thought about Jesus, God was speaking to you. He's pursuing you. This is the goodness of God that he wants to be kind to you. And even if you're scared of him and run from him, he'll come after you. He'll draw you. So, no, I just got up and decided to go to church one day. No, you didn't. He put that in your head and brought you here. Or I just, whatever. Dear ones, I'm going to tell you something. God is after you. He's pursuing you. And it's not to get you. Let me make an announcement. He's so big. He's so big. If he wanted to get you, he could have got you by now. He's trying to bring you to himself so he can be good to you. In spite of your perception, in spite of your resistance, God is after you. And he, let me tell you something. He's not going to quit either. You know how I know he's not going to quit? Let me quote it to you. If a man had a hundred sheep and lost one, he'd write it off and say, well, ain't no big deal. I got 99 left. Is that what he'd do? If a man had a hundred sheep and lost one, he would leave the 99 and go after him. Go after him. How long will he go after him? Until he finds him. That's Luke chapter 15. I'll let, until he finds him. And when he finds him, he kicks the hell out of him and says, you ever run again, I'll kill you. <laughs> no. What does he do? When he finds him, he lays him on his shoulders rejoicing. I'm going to make an announcement. God is excited about me because he's turned his heart toward my son. You have no... Where do we get this quiet reverent stuff? God is excited. What do you think it means? He lays him on his shoulders rejoicing, calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found something I lost. God's rejoicing. He says, it's not the God I knew about. Go with the God in the Bible, doc. Go with the God that the book talks about. The king is after this little fella and uh, he gets him. They got this surprise meeting where finally he gets here in front of him and he just knows I'm fixing to die. And the king says to him, you don't need to be scared of me. I didn't bring you here to hurt you. I brought you here to be good to you. And I'm going to do it for Jonathan's sake. Now, Jonathan was Mephibosheth's father, Saul's son. Jonathan was the dearest friend David ever had. Matter of fact, David said this. He said, your love to me is greater than the love of women. They probably had the closest relationship. They loved each other dearly. And uh, Mephibosheth's thinking, I don't deserve this. It was paid for by somebody else. Here's the point. God has been so good to me. I didn't earn it. Somebody else did. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for me so that the blessing of God could come upon me in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the kindness of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor. How many ever think Jesus was rich? I mean, when you own the entire universe, that's pretty loaded. That's love. He is rich. Did he become poor? Hanging on a cross, naked. Not a friend, not even a garment. They gambled for his garments and gave it to a soldier. That's pretty poor right there. Why did he go through all that? 
You know the kindness of our Lord Jesus, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The great life that I enjoy today, the sanity, the peace, the hope, the happiness, the great marriage, the great home, the great, the great everything I've got, Jesus paid it all. He said, I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan's sake. This is a picture of God Almighty saying, because of what my son did at the cross, I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to show you great kindness. What's the New Testament word for it? Grace. It's amazing. Somebody should write a song called Amazing Grace. It is truly amazing. Last of all, and this, this uh, what I'm fixing to say really aggravates religious people, but it's in here, so I've got to say it. Well, I can't say it. You've got to turn back to 2 Samuel 9 because you've got to see this. 2 Samuel 9. I want to point out one more thing. And then we'll go join the Methodists for lunch. 2 Samuel 9. All right. There's something weird about this passage. I don't know if you noticed this or not. There's two weird things about this passage. Number one, it's just a brief passage. Four times... Four times in this passage, the king, I think the king, he repeats himself four times. He says the same thing four times while he's giving it. He said, now you'll be a servant, you'll do this, and he'll eat dinner at my table every night. He'll eat dinner at my table. Four times he says, he will dine with me at my table every night. I think the king sort of hung up on that boy eating with him. What's that all about? He said, I'm going to give him money. I'm going to give him servants. I'm going to give him new relationships. I'm going to give him better health. I'm going to let him live in the house. But more than anything else, he's going to have a relationship with me. And he's going to eat with me. And we're going to enjoy being together. Dear ones, God's after you. But it's not because he wants you to be a missionary and give tetanus shots to pygmies in Botswana. Let the United Nations do that. Where'd we get this perception that he's after me so he can ruin my life and make me go be a missionary or marry an ugly woman who plays the organ? Where'd you get this stuff from? God is after you for one reason, relationship. Yes, I'll, yes, he gave him the money. Yes, he gave him the land. Yes, but morning he said, I want you to sit at my table and eat with me. Every night I want you to come eat with me and I want us to enjoy each other. I want you to talk to me. I want you to enjoy my voice and I want to hear your voice. The greatest call of your life is to get to know God personally and enjoy Him. The great Westminster Catechism tells the entire purpose of creation. The chief aim of man is to glorify God forever by enjoying Him. You were created to get to enjoy Him. So listen, let Him bless you financially. Let Him heal your mind. Let Him heal your body if it needs it. Let Him fix your family. Let Him fix your marriage. Let Him get you a job, yada, yada. Let Him get you education. But above all else, get to know Him personally and enjoy Him as a father. The highlight of my life is not preaching. It's not, it's not fishing. Them two are close. It's when I get alone with God and he talks to me and we enjoy each other. I got to point out one other thing that's, that's weird. Those, that, that, that David said four times we got to eat together. That's weird. One other thing that's weird in here. Why did he wrap this thing up in verse 13? Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He had contended at the table. He was laming both his feet. Why did they throw that in? You already told us one time. Why did this passage finish saying he couldn't walk right? Here's the greatest revelation in here. Oh, let me tell you, how, let me tell you what happened to him. <clears throat> On the day that David was heralded king across Israel, 
the, all of Saul's family had to jump and run. So they ran out of the palace because they knew they were going to get killed. So they run to save their lives and go hide. A nurse, he was a baby. A nursemaid picks him up. She's running with him and going out of the palace. She tripped and she fell on him. And that's what, ruined, that's what messed both of his legs up. So that he, he, had, he was crippled all his life, had trouble walking all his life. <clears throat> Can you see it? Dear ones, God didn't create us to struggle. He didn't originally create us to struggle with sin and to be self-centered and be goofed up. He created us in his image to live like him and enjoy one another and treat people like he treats people. But something happened called the fall of man. And man sinned and the fall of man. Listen to what the Bible said. In Adam, we all fail. And every one of us inherited a sin nature when humanity fell and we have trouble walking straight. We all have trouble walking right. I want to make an announcement. I want to do right. I want to love God. I want to love people. I don't want to hurt anybody. I've made up my mind. I'm done sinning. Okay, four of us have decided that out of this crowd. I've made up my mind. I'm done sinning. I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't, I'm not religious. I'm not going to be religious. I'm going to keep listening to classic rock. Write me off. I don't care. The point is, following Jesus means two things. Love God and love people. And treat them both right. I want to do that. But see if you agree with Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I swear I do. I throw the swear in. I, I do. How many of you sometimes struggle to get it right? That's what this is all about. He was crippled in the fall. And I want to make an announcement. Even after he met the king, he still couldn't walk straight. I met Jesus years ago. I've read the Bible a hundred times through. I, I know every, I know it. I still struggle to walk straight. What's the revelation? You don't have to be perfect for God to be good to you. You don't have to have it perfect yet for God to be good to you. You don't have to have it right. Now people say, well, <clears throat> religious people get nervous. I can see them twitching in there. See, they get nervous. People will think you can sin if you say that. Knock it off. Knock it off. You're going to quit sinning for one or two reasons. Fear or love. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, I want to make an announcement. I've been married 39 years. been with the same woman 41 years. I don't run around on my wife. That's all amen I can get out. That's pretty good right there. <clears throat> I don't cheat on my wife. Not for th 41 years, been me and her. That's it. Just me and her. And uh, you say, well, you, you say well, you're too old now. I am not. And let me tell you something, I, I don't, I, I'm faithful to my wife, not because I'm scared of her. Oh, don't misunderstand me. She'd kill me graveyard dead. <laughs> Earl would get some poison peas if I got caught running around. I promise you that. You know why I'm faithful to that woman? I love her. She has been good to me. I don't want to sin because I'm scared something bad will happen. I don't want to sin because Jesus died to deliver me from that. And that man's been good to me. I really do want to get it right. Plus, I've seen that when I bump my head on the wall, it hurts. The wages of sin is a sore head amongst other things. But I still struggle to get it right. But here's the great revelation. You don't have to be perfect to be blessed. You have to repent, but you don't have to be perfect. Besides, I can't get it right anyway. I want to make an announcement. He's still working on me.
to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient. Y'all don't know the song. Patient he must be. He's still working on me. God is good to me even in my imperfect state. That's what it means. That's why, the, that's why the passage finished up. He was still lame in both of his feet. God blessed them. The king blessed the fire of this boy, even though he still couldn't walk straight. You just turn your heart toward him. Let him worry about perfecting you. You just chase him. He'll get it right. This is, all this boils down to one thing. If you don't know him, you don't know what he's like, you'll run from him. You'll avoid him. You'll try to stay away from him. If you ever find out what he was like, you would run to him. I mean... You'd run toward him. Let me tell you, I'm Mephibosheth right here. This is me in the Bible. I'm Mephibosheth. God really likes me. I mean, he's just good to me. I don't deserve it. He is good. All right, here's the entire story of the Bible, the bottom line. You don't need to be afraid of him. You don't need to be scared of him. You need to let him love you. You need to let God be good to you. I don't know if you knew this or not. I, I write country songs. I'm a country songwriter in my spare time. I play the guitar and I sing. My, I've got several big hits. I wrote one about a heartbroken truck driver called Shifting Gears and Shedding Tears several years back. <laughs> wrote one a little while back. Uh, y'all, and I steal other people's material. Y'all remember those songs, He Stopped Loving Her Today? Y'all remember that? I love the tune, but I hate the words. So I took, stole the tune and changed the words to He's Too Drunk to Preach Today. I wrote that a little while back out there. <laughs> I just love writing country songs, having a big time. And on occasion, I'll take people's songs that I like and their songs won't be quite right, so I'll have to doctor them up and I'll fix them. And, and folks said, you shouldn't steal their songs. When I just, they just needed fixing. One of my favorite songs old time, show you how old I am, is from, it's by the Eagles. A song called Desperado. Somebody remember that? Desperado. I, just, I love it. I got some old folks. I got some classic rock crowd here. Well, that was, that was one of the greatest songs ever written, but it, it was a little off in some places. So I had to tweak it for him. Don't tell him. I had to fix it for him. Uh, one of the places it was off, there's a line in there that says, uh, don't, you draw the, don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy. She'll beat you because she's able. And then it says the queen of hearts is always your best bet. And it simply means that if you chase money, you'll get hurt. Go after love. Slight adjustment. The king of hearts is always your best bet. But the biggest booger up was at the end. I had to change the end. Where, you know where it says... Yeah, no, you know how the thing ends. You better let my G, I let somebody love you. And then the girls go, let somebody love you. You know how it goes. <laughs> if I had to rewrite it. Here's the official ending on it now. You better let my Jesus love you before it's too late. If, if you, when they play it on the radio now, that's how they do it. But listen, the bottom line is you better let Jesus love you. You better let my Jesus love you before it's too late. He created you. He gave you something. Do not get to the end of this life and say, I wasted it because I didn't know what he was like. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you. You didn't just create church. You don't just hang around to church on Sundays. You created life. You created the outdoors. You created marriage. You created relationships. You created everything there is. You are the Lord of life, not just the Lord of church buildings or whatever and I praise you and thank you for that and why do we run from you why would we not run to you can't be but one reason we don't know what you like I pray for every person here present today those watching online open the eyes of their hearts 
that they can see the beauty of a king who's asking, is there somebody I can show kindness to? Is there somebody I can be good to? Let them see this is the heart of their creator, that he wants to be good to them. And dear Jesus, I want to pray and ask you, don't stop chasing them till you get them. I mean that with all my heart. Do not stop chasing them till you get them to you and they get everything you plan for them. I pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in every life. Everything you plan for their families, their careers, their happiness, their friendships, their everything, health. Don't stop chasing them until you get them and they get everything you laid down your life for. I trust you for that. Thank you for hearing my prayer. All right, friend, if you're here with us today as we're praying, God's chasing you. You just need to say yes. Jesus died on a cross to get you to the Father so He can be good to you. You just need to believe in the gospel. And you need to say yes to it. Jesus said this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's do it right now. I want you, in your heart, I want you to decide, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior and God's going to be my Father. I'm going home. Let's do it right now. Seated right there where you're at, you have to call on Him. Let, Let me help you. Let's pray this prayer together. You call on Jesus. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross for me because you love me. But I believe you rose from the grave because you are God Almighty. And I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me every sin I've ever committed, knowing that you will. And I turn from that. I turn with all my heart towards you. I ask your forgiveness. And today I invite you into my heart as my Savior, my Lord, and the love of my life. I give my life to you today, Jesus. Come in, take over. Here I am. Teach me how to love you. Teach me how to hear you. Teach me how to walk with you. Thank you for a book that will explain everything. From this day forward, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. Thank you for speaking to my heart. I pray this prayer in the strong name of Jesus, Son of God, great Son of God. If you prayed that minute, raise your hand up real high all over. Let me see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Put all those down. All the praise and glory and honor to you. Thank you that you will never quit chasing people so you can be good to them. And I just want to close on a personal note saying thank you, thank you, thank you for overcoming my obstinance and my rebellion and bringing me to yourself. And you have blessed me beyond measure. And I owe it all to you and I give you all the praise and glory. I really am sorry about the fact that I'm still struggling to walk straight. But I thank you that your kindness is greater than my blindness. Thank you that your mercy is greater than my struggle. Thank you that your grace is greater than my weakness. Thank you that Jesus alone deserves all the credit, glory, and praise. In his precious name we pray, amen and amen.